are in the uh, middle of a series. Actually, we are in week four. The title of the, uh, of the series is To Pursuit. And basically what we have been doing is we've been looking at the tabernacle. Y'all know the tabernacle is, is something that took place in the Old Testament. And we've been looking at the tabernacle to learn relevant lessons from that took place back then and learning how we can apply those lessons to our lives today. Our foundational scripture can be found in the book of Exodus chapter 25. And in that chapter, what you will find is that God is instructing His people to build for Him a place to where He can dwell with them. And I'm going to give a brief recap, but I challenge and encourage you, if you have not seen the other weeks or were not available the other weeks, all of those lessons, all of those teachings are available out there online for you. But by way of recap, I want to just let you know that in week one, as Pastor Mike uh, communicated to you earlier, we talked about learning that God pursues us. And we know that He pursues us because Scripture lets us know that even from the fall of man, Adam and Eve, He has been pursuing us from that very moment even up to right now. In week two, we transitioned and began to talk about the outer court. And in the outer court, we began to focus on removing the barrier of sin from the lives of the children of Israel so that it wasn't just a one-sided, if you will, relationship to where God was pursuing them. But in week two, we talked about how we, now with our sins being cleansed from us, how we can begin to pursue God. And last week, we began to talk about the holy place. The holy place. And it taught us how to go from being acquaintances with Jesus to actually fellowshipping with Him. And as we entered into the holy place, we began to describe the furniture. And today we're going to talk about that third piece of furniture uh, that is in the holy place. But last week we talked about the menorah. And we talked about its importance. We talked about it representing the light of Jesus and how that needs to be represented in our lives even today. And we began to talk about the showbread in there, which, which, which lets us know clearly that God is interested in communicating and uh, communing with us. He wants to meet with us face to face. So that's what we talked about on last week. This week, as I stated earlier, we're going to continue through the holy place and we're going to talk about that third piece of furniture that is in there. And then we're going to transition out of the holy place into the most holy place. Some references says the holy of holies. And we're going to learn there about how God is want to teach us about dwelling in His very presence. So let's continue on and jump right back where we left off last week. Again, we talked about the menorah. We talked about the, the showbread, the table of showbread. The third piece of furniture that was in there was called the altar of incense. And I believe we got a picture of that that we're going to put up there for you. And uh, what you'll notice about this is that um, you probably can't tell from that picture, but that, that altar of incense is about three feet tall. It was about three feet tall. When you take cubits in the Bible and measure it out, that's about three feet tall. And it's actually about 18 by 18. It's a perfect square on the top. And I don't know if you can see it in that picture. Yes, you can see it very, 
uh, a little bit, but you'll notice on the four corners what looks to be like stubs, those are actually horns. So I wanted to kind of give you a real, uh, in, if you will, essence of what it actually looked like in terms of size. But what was its purpose? You know, God didn't tell them to build all of this stuff and there was no significant purpose behind it. So what was the purpose of the altar of incense? The clearest understanding of the purpose of the altar of incense was for the daily burning of the incense. And Exodus tells us a bit more about what this process actually looked like. So if we put that first scripture up there, Exodus 30, verses 7 through 8, it says, And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamp, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. So we can see right here from this very short scripture, we learn that this took place twice a day. Twice a day. In the morning and in the evening. And the scripture was informing or communicating to them that this should take place as you are performing the duties of the menorah. And we talked about that on last week. And we know not so much as from this scripture, but from other scriptures in the Bible, that the smoke from the burning of the incense represented the prayers of the priests or the prayers of the saints that were actually going up. So when you burn the incense, you can imagine their smoke that represented prayers. Now, one thing that I want to point out about this scripture, it specifically mentions Aaron here. And Aaron during this time was the high priest. And it was possible, and I want to make sure we take our time to go through this, but it was possible for all of the responsibilities, all the things that took place in the holy place, it was responsible for other priests to do those things as well. So although it mentions Aaron, I want you to remember that other priests could take care of those responsibilities. Now this is important that I stand before you and make this distinction between Aaron the high priest and the other priests because on the day of atonement, the high priest had some responsibilities that only he can do. In fact, from this point on, as I'm beginning to communicate to you what happened and what things look like, I want you to know that I'm going to be referencing the Day of Atonement. Because I don't want you to get that confused. It's going to be very important for you to understand what the foreshadowing of this means and that's going to be highly based on your understanding of what we're talking about today. So, as we go into our next scripture, we'll put that up. We're still talking about the altar of incense. Leviticus 16 and 12 says, And he, referring to the high priest, shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. Now that's a, 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 a mouthful there, but I want to take just a moment to unpack that so you can kind of get a picture in your mind of what's going on. Now, we are in the holy place, and we're talking about the altar of incense, but more specifically, we're talking about on the Day of Atonement. And this is what it's looking like. So what is, this scripture is specifically referring to one of the steps in the process of the high priest Aaron in terms of him making atonement for himself. And you might be thinking, oh my goodness, the high priest had to make atonement for himself? 
Yes. On the Day of Atonement, before he could make atonement for the entire congregation of the children of Israel, he had to make atonement for himself first. And what that looked like is that he had to go out to that brazen altar that we talked about, I believe, in week two, and he had to take a bull, the Scripture says, and he had to slaughter that bull or sacrifice that bull. And from it, he had to gather blood from that bull. And the other thing that he had to do while he was out there, he had to get some of the coal, the fiery coal, that was part of that brazen altar, and he had to come back into the holy place. So you following me? He's coming back into the holy place. He got some blood from his own personal sacrifice, and he got uh, some, some coals, if you will, and, and he has those, coal, those hot burning coals in his censer. Now, Scripture lets us know from there that he goes over to the altar of incense, if you will, and he grabs some incense. So I wanted to paint that picture to you because this Scripture talk breaks us, brings us now to him about to enter into the veil. And I want to reread it again so you can kind of capture this Scripture on top of what I just explained to you. It says, And he, the high priest, shall take a censer full of coal, of fire from the altar before the Lord and the two handfuls of sweet incense, that's the incense that we've been talking about, beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil. So now what we'll be going to go start trying to do is how do we transition out of the holy place into the most holy place or the holy of holies where you just can't walk in there when you feel like it. You got to go through this veil. So let's learn a little bit more about the veil. I believe we got a picture of the veil there. Very pretty. Scripture tells us that it was made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it. And I believe the Scripture that I'm about to read is going to communicate to us that it was quite clear in terms of its purpose. That Scripture can be found in Exodus 26, verse 33. He says, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. So you can imagine the high priest now. He's standing there with those items that I just explained to you. And he's standing there now in front of the veil. Now, what I'm about to tell you next is very, very important. Because it's one of the main things you, you need to remember about the veil. Only the high priest one time a year could go through this veil and enter into the most holy place. One time a year, only the, holy, uh, only the high priest. Because behind the veil was considered the dwelling place of God. And if you entered here, and if you were not qualified, you would die. You would die. You would die. If you were not qualified. In fact, if you, if you got your Bibles and, and, and you scroll up to uh, the beginning of the chapter of Leviticus 16, it starts off with a story. And in this story, Moses is actually consoling Aaron. Aaron was the high priest and he had some sons and they were also considered to be priests as well. Remember Pastor Mike earlier in the, in the, in the uh, series talked about the Levites? 
Well, the priest came out of the Levite tribe and, and Aaron and his family were responsible for carrying out the priestly duties. Now, I've already communicated that only who can go back there? The high priest. Well, one day, two of Aaron's sons decided they wanted to go back there on their own. And I won't belabor the point, but the scripture basically said they were killed. They were killed. So I wanted to emphasize that a little bit further to let you know the seriousness of the matter. It, it, it makes me even think a little bit today as I think about some of the religions out there that, that communicates to you that you can just approach God any way and anyhow you want to. And I think right there, we're talking about a foreshadowing of the tabernacle in terms of where we are today. I think this is a clear indication that you just can't enter and show up from any different direction in any method or manner that you want to. But as I look at this particular situation right here, and, and now, now you can imagine Aaron is the high priest and he know what happened to his son. Can you imagine him standing in front of that veil with what he has in his hand? Guys, he's responsible for, for, for pulling that curtain back and stepping through. That had to be a very, very tense moment. I, I don't know about you. I, I'm just as spiritual as the next man, but I, I don't want to sign up for that duty. What if you get something wrong? Did you get enough cold? Did you get enough incense? I, I, I just think about the weight that must have been upon the shoulders of the high priest, especially knowing what had happened to his son. So, as, as you pull back the veil, Petra Aaron now, he got these things in his hand. He's pulled back the veil. And there before him stood, in full view, the only piece of furniture inside of the most holy place. Now imagine, he's on the other side now. And, and the only piece of equipment, uh, not equipment, furniture that is in there is the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe we got a picture of that. And all of that, right? of course, is wood under that, but everything is covered in solid gold. You see the cherubim on top. Scripture, if we make the conversion from cubit to cubits to feet, just that, that, that is about four feet wide by two feet, and it's about two feet deep. I just wanted you to kind of paint that mind picture for you. But it was the only piece of furniture inside of the most holy place. Often in Scripture, it was referred to as the presence of God, and it symbolizes God's special relationship with the children of Israel. It was holy and apparently it was not to be touched. Another side notes that later on when the children of Israel had gone through and they were fought numerous of battles, uh, and, and, and there was one of the times the, the Ark of the Covenant got stolen, and uh, when David became king, he went and found out where it was, and he was wanting to bring it back uh, to where it belonged. So uh, the story goes is that they, they had a set of oxen, and they had a, a brand new cart, if you will, and um, they went and got the Ark of the Covenant and they put it on the back of the cart. And of course, um, they're on their way back. And, and at some juncture along the way, the ox stumbled. And y'all know if the ox stumbled, the cart probably tilted. And then, of course, if the, if the cart tilted, the Ark of the Covenant is probably about to fall off 
So what would you do? What would you do? You'd have been dead on the spot. And that's what happened in that story. So I want again to point out to you, this was serious business. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, this was not some play-play thing. It was serious business. So, upon entering the most holy place, the high priest would do two things. All right? So, again, he got his stuff. He's going to the veil. He's going to do two things on the other side of the veil. The first thing he's going to do, he's going to burn those incense that he picked up on those coals. Remember the coals? Remember the incense? Right? He crushed them up, small pieces. First thing he's going to do, he's going to burn those incense. And scriptures and commentary will let us know that this will create a cloud. Of course, you know if you're burning incense, it's going to create a cloud. And they said that um, this would shield the high priest from the full exposure of the glory of God. And this kind of relates a little bit back to Moses. Y'all remember when Moses on Mount Sinai and God was meeting with him and, and Moses, God told him to go, go around this cliff right here because he could not, you know, uh, uh, probably withstand the full uh, glory of, of, of God at that time. I, I believe there, there's some truth to this uh, uh, commentary here because it, it parallels a lot in terms of what Moses experienced. So he would burn those incense. And the second thing that he would do is that he would sprinkle blood from the sin offering. Y'all remember the blood that he brought in. He would sprinkle blood from the sin offering on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, right? And he will sprinkle that blood onto something that was called the mercy seat. And if you're looking at that picture there, the mercy seat would be that place that the well between the wings of the cherubim, right? That was where it was physically located, the mercy seat. So now when you hear the word mercy seat, that's what it's talking about. And this is a clear picture and that it represents God's mercy and his love for his people. Exodus 25, chapter 25, verses 21 and 22 says it's like this. It kind of explains a lot of what I just said. It says, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, which we just explained, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. Now, I know you're probably wondering what's in there. I'm not going to tell you. I think we're going to talk about that next week. But there's some stuff in there. Many of you probably already know. He goes on to say that there I will meet with you and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which we just described, that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I give you in the commandment for the people of Israel. So we see that that is where God actually spoke to the high priest about his people. So now after the high priest had successfully completed all of the things that the scripture had told him to be able to do, he is now in the presence of God. Right? He's now in the presence of God. So we began talking, what, three weeks ago, this is week four, about how we were out in the courtyard, we came through the holy of holy, holy place, we talked about all the furniture there, and we find ourselves now clearly, squarely in the presence of God. So the question that we have now is, what does this mean for us today? The first thing I want to point out is that all of the things that we have talked about, even from day one, is all symbolic of Jesus. 
It's a foreshadowing of those things that were to come. And let's take those items that we've talked about today one by one and bring them relevant for us today as believers. First, again, the altar of incense. The altar of incense represents prayer and worship. What we just did here earlier today was what would have been symbolic of the altar of incense in terms of our prayers, in terms of our, our worship going up to God, going up to heaven. David said it like this in Psalms 141 and 2. He says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. He's referring actually back to not the morning uh, sacrifice, but the, the evening burning of the incense. So here David is making a connection between what was done in the tabernacle to his own personal prayer and worship time. Revelation goes on to say that our prayers and worship go before the very throne of God in heaven. There's one other thing that I think that was done then that I think we should probably learn a little bit from a little bit more today is that it began to talk about some level of frequency in our prayer time, right? It said that he did it in the morning and he did it in the evening. Now, I'm not telling you when to pray, but I do believe we can infer from this that we should have a regular prayer life and that we should worship God on a regular basis. So we trans transition again from the altar of incense. That's, let's see what the veil can share with us today. The veil actually represents the body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. And I want to say that this, this, this is huge. I, I know we've talked about a whole lot of different components as it relates to the tabernacle. But, but this one right here this week as I was studying, it, it is huge because today many stand, I believe, just outside of the veil and never enter into the full presence of God. Pastor Mike just got you talking about uh, your uh, availability. And I think sometimes it, rather than making ourselves available, we'll, we'll go in here and, and we'll, we'll, we'll light the lamps and uh, we'll, we'll sit down and have a little fellowship at the showbread table and uh, we, we might even pray a little bit and, and, and have a few little prayers to go up. But, but I believe that God is calling us today to pull that veil back and to walk on through into the most holy place where He is. So Jesus is the veil in the tabernacle. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil, as we know from the stories, it was torn. Scripture lets us know that it was torn from top to bottom. This did nothing more than created access, eliminating all barriers, creating access for us now to dwell in the Holy of Holies. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit. That means, of course, He died. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was creating access. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? By the blood of Jesus, 
and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So that's why I can so confidently say that the veil represented Jesus in and of itself. It was his very flesh being torn, even the night before, uh, hung up there on that cross as he died. It was his body, it was his blood that allowed us now to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. It goes on to say, to say, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Sum that scripture up. Jesus has truly paid the way through his flesh. And I think we could be encouraged today as this scripture tells us to draw near to him. Guys, we don't have to stand on the other side of the veil. We can now draw near to him. We can be confident that his blood has cleansed us, given us full access to the very throne room of God. So you can, I'm hoping that you're seeing what they did back then in the tabernacle in terms of what, 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 how, how to gain access to God. But we don't have to do that anymore. Jesus has died on the cross. The blood has been shed. And we can now go boldly, boldly to the throne. In our time of trouble, Scripture lets us know that He will hear our prayer. He will hear our prayer. And I'll pause for a moment. If someone is trying to teach you or communicate to you that they got to represent you before God or they got to take your prayer unto God on your behalf, it's not true. It's a complete contradiction to the Word of God. And I think sometimes when we, when, we, when we don't hear it put in, the, in that manner or we don't read it just as it is in the Word of God, we, we, we can allow somebody to come in and trip us up or to trick us that we got to have somebody to pray for us before we can get a prayer through to God. And that's just not the case. We have been made the righteousness of God through the blood of Jesus. The last we want to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represents the mercy and the presence of God. And this reminds us that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. In essence, for the debt we could not pay, Jesus paid with His very own blood, showing mercy for all mankind. We started by talking about God pursuing us and how long He has been pursuing us. He has been pursuing us from the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. He has been pursuing us ever since our very last sin. He is pursuing us right at this very moment. Jesus paid with His very, very own blood. The scriptures that uh, I'm about to read, which is going to be several of them, and I believe the band is making their, their, their way up. I'm about to, to, to read quite a few scriptures here. And, and as I read them, what I want you to, to kind of imagine in your mind, the transition that we have made completely through the tabernacle. And then I want you to begin to listen to the words that I'm going to read. 
because the scripture is going to, to take that foreshadowing that took place thousands of years ago and it's going to bring it to us right here in our face. And I'm encouraging you that as you listen to the scripture being read, maybe you might ask yourself, Lord, have, 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 I, come, have I crossed over uh, from behind this veil into the most holy place? You may be sitting there, you might say, you know what? I, I have no relationship with him at all. I, I'm, not, not, I'm not even in the holy place. I'm not in the, in, in the courtyard. I am outside of the whole infrastructure that God created. Those scriptures can be found in the ninth chapter of Hebrews. The first one is chapter 11. I believe the second one is going to be 12. We're going to read 15 after that. Then we're going to come up with 24 through 28. But listen to these scriptures. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. Take that in. Breathe that in. What this scripture is describing is that not only is that veil torn, that Jesus himself with his own blood is at and in the very throne room of God right now for you at this very moment. Right now. That's what he is doing for you. Jesus has entered in. We must also enter in. That's that invitation that he is extending us today to, to us today. Verse 15 says, Therefore, again, taking all into consideration what I just read, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Draw from that. What we've been talking about for the last four weeks, the, tabern the, the tabernacle, was an Old Testament vehicle foreshadowing to us today a lot of important things that I, I'm hoping that over the last couple of weeks you've begun to apply to your life. But we're talking about a new covenant. Scripture lets us know that it is a better covenant than the old, by the way. This scripture lets us know that he is our mediator. He is our high priest. Another scripture lets us know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now. Other scripture says that he is our advocate. He is encouraging us today to leave the holy place, to enter in and dwell with him in the most holy place. I don't know if y'all are seeing the picture or not. Y'all, we have a great high priest in Jesus. A great high priest in Jesus. Verse 24, 
for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing. You can see what the scripture calls the, the Old Testament tabernacle. He calls it a copy. It was a copy. But into heaven is where he has entered. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy place every year on the day of atonement with blood not his own. He had to take the blood of a bull. Jesus says, I'm going to one-up you on that. I'm going to take my own perfect blood. For then he would have had to suffer. If he had not taken his own, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He has put away sin. He has put away sin. Verse 27 says, And just that it, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. I don't know about you, but I'm eagerly <laughs> awaiting the return. So today we're talking about the presence of God. And we learn again that we have a great high priest. We learn again that we're not under that Old Testament law, but we have a new covenant. We have a great high priest in him. We have a great high priest. And that his shed blood, we also learned this, that his shed blood gives us access to this presence that we've been talking about. But in order for us to gain access to this presence, we have to accept the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I know that some of you are in this room and, 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 and you may not have made a decision to, to follow God and, and, and even us that are believers sometimes we might think and be tempted to think that time will take care of the sin and fix the problem or fix the issue sometimes we might think that our good works or our decent lives or even our hero's death might fix the sin issue but I'm here to tell you today that none of that will work none of that will work Today, the only way to the presence of the Father is through Jesus. The scripture we just read states that He's returning again not to deal with sin, which means we need to accept His mercy on this day. We need to see and recognize that the very breath that just came out of your mouth is another example of His mercy being extended to you. So I want to challenge and encourage you today that if you don't have a relationship with God, His blood has already been shed. Your debt has already been paid for. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is receive it. This scripture is, is implying something else too. 
Y'all remember when it said that he has already dealt with sin and that he is going to return again? In order for us to go back with him and to be resurrected with him when he returns, we have to have made this decision. So my challenge for you today, if you don't have a relationship with God, will you please receive his mercy today? Will you please receive him as your Lord and Savior today? There will become a day when it's too late. Scriptures let us know in Romans that in order for us to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're to confess him as Lord, it says. Repent of our sins, confess him as Lord, and believe that after three days he was raised from the dead. That's what the scripture says. That's what the scripture says. It's not difficult. But you have to humble yourself. Just as the high priest had to do on the day of atonement. A lot of the commentaries say that it was an act of humility. He didn't go in in his priestly robes. He he went in in, in just regular linen. Symbolic of us humbling ourselves even today unto the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ.